All right. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Is there anyone here who actually enjoys this heat? Anyone at all? Raise your hand. Shame. Yes. Shame upon you. I, uh, I grew up in a foreign place called Quebec, Canada. All right. I, now hold, hold it. I was born in America, though. Amen. Um, and I'm used to like 60 degrees, 70 degrees. Once you get above like 65, 70 degrees, it's too hot, right? Anyone with me? Okay. Everyone else, you've been in the sun for too long, brains melted, you're wrong. Cool. All right, let's take our Bibles and return to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, just kind of set up a little bit what we're going to do here. I want, us, I want to prepare you guys. I want to give you a plan, uh, maybe a strategy that you can take home with you. How many of you guys have ever come to camp and you made a spiritual decision for the Lord? All right. How many of you guys that after that week at camp, maybe like a month later, you kind of went right back exactly where you're at? Right. So what I want to do is I want to show you, I want to prepare you and kind of give you a plan, something that you can do to help to help how you can be spiritually successful. We're going to be looking at Daniel here. If I can get my slide moving. There we go. We're going to look at Daniel. And that's just Hebrew for Daniel. I thought it was kind of cool. We're going to look at Daniel's life through chapters 1 through 6. And we're not going to look at all the details. Uh, not all the points are like specifically driven out of text. This is just me studying Daniel 1 through 6, looking at the lives, looking at all the spiritual decisions that were made, and just kind of noticing some things. And so I want to give you eight pointers today of what to look for when you read through Daniel 1 through 6 to see how can I be spiritually successful like these guys. Um, we're going to go all the way back in history to the year 605 BC. So go back in your minds, kind of teleport. Okay, back in 605. Um, oh, I'm missing a slide. Where's my slide? I must have deleted it. Maybe it's, hold on one second. Nope, okay. I lost it. So here's what I want you to do. I had instructions for you. All right. Uh, I want you, as we're thinking about, as we're going through this message, I want you to look, uh, think about this and make a plan. Think of people like, who are some people that I can meet up in my youth group, in my church, maybe at my school, who is like two or three? Who are two or three friends that I can meet up with where for six weeks. What we will do, we'll spend one week, we'll read Daniel 1, next week, read Daniel 2. But once a week, we'll meet up and we'll discuss these things. We'll discuss how did we see uh, these points I'm going to present to you, or maybe you come up with some other ones. And then for six weeks, you can be studying together and looking, what did these guys do to be spiritually successful? And how can we practice that too? And then you close by praying together. Say, Lord, the way you use Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, uh, maybe a fiery furnace, maybe dental lions, we don't know. Um, but God, help us to stick with you. Help us to stick with the decisions that we made. And for six weeks, you'll be reminding each other of what God has done in your life at this week at camp, and that you'll be encouraging each other and pushing each other. So hopefully we're just kind of setting you up for success after this week. So we'll go back to the year 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar came. He came to Israel. He wasn't, Israel wasn't his main target. He was actually going after Egypt. But uh, when he got to Israel, he sieged it. He surrounded it. He captured it. He took the king. He actually killed the king. Uh, he took another guy. And um, he, what he did is he took some of the best of the guys. 
He would take these guys and they traveled all the way back to Babylon, which is about 500 miles. So imagine walking from here, from Clear Lake, all the way to the center of Michigan. I think it was called Lafayette, Michigan. I can't remember what the name of the city was. But about 500 miles from here would be walking from here all the way to central Michigan, just a little bit short of Detroit. That's a long way to walk. Could you imagine your home just got conquered by a foreign country? Imagine China just came in and took over our country. Like, oh, I know, kind of sad. And then they make you walk all the way from here to Michigan. Like, that's even worse, right? And then it's like, what's going on? My world's being completely changed around, and I have no idea what's going on. And then when they get there, they do something that our world is trying to do to you today. As soon as they get to Babylon, they start changing their identity. Daniel, names means God will judge. Hananiah, his name means God has shown favor. Mishael, his name means who is comparable to God. And Azariah means who is comparable to God. <laughs> Typo. There's another name. It's in the notes. But then they change their names. And notice how their names are pointed to who they worship. Their names are pointed to who is the God in their lives. And so when they change their names, they say, all right, your God is no longer your God. We're going to change your name so that you will now accept our God, our gods. And so Belteshazzar is that Bel may protect him. Shadrach is that he is commanded of the moon God. Meshach, he's a servant of Malduk. Abednego, he's a servant of Nego. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to change their identity. They're trying to change their purpose. They're trying to change why they exist. And this is happening to you today. Our world is trying to change who you are and to say, you know what, you may be a follower of God. You may be a follower of the word of the Lord, but we don't like that. And so we're going to give you other words. We're going to give you other gods. We're going to give you other things that you can worship, that you can live for, that can be the gods of your life and change who you are. You really need to be aware of this, of how the world is trying to grab a hold of your heart and to mold you. This is why that, that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is so important, that we're supposed to surrender ourselves to the service of God. And then verse 2, don't be conformed to this world like you're a piece of clay and it's, you're pressed to that mold. Don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is that done? It's through the word of God. And so our world is trying to change you, kind of like what they did with our friends here. But who were these guys? Why did they pick these guys? Well, these guys were of royal noble families. They were unblemished youth. They didn't have like a deformity. They weren't too short, too tall, too fat, too skinny. They were just kind of like, all right. They were good appearance. They were wise, knowledgeable, teachable. They were competent to stand. Um, if you wanted a good example, they're kind of like... Um, Sorry, girls, I don't have a good example for you here. Uh, you'll just have to kind of use your imagination. But, but these guys were top-notch. These guys were the best of the best. Uh, these guys were probably somewhere between 12 to 16 years old. They were taken away from their home. They were away from their spiritual guys. They were in a foreign land. They were expected to act like this foreign land without any accountability. So take yourself, imagine yourself, maybe a little bit younger, maybe some of you will be a little bit older, but you imagine yourself that you're put in a new place and that you don't have, those, you don't have your pastor with you, your youth pastor isn't there, your sponsor isn't there to guide you, and everyone's expecting you to act like them. 
kind of sounds like going to a non-Christian college or going to a workplace or living in the world, right? We are placed in a similar situation, kind of like these guys, maybe not as aggressive like you weren't conquered by another nation, but we're in the same situation that, you know what, our home is somewhere else. We belong to another kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God, and that's what we long for, look for. And we, thankfully, I hope you have spiritual guides, but we are in a foreign land, and we're expected to act like that foreign land. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these guys, because I think most of you guys know the stories of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazariah, but they were in the middle of the center of the capital of the world. You couldn't get any closer to worldliness. They were like in the government parliament of the center of the known world at that time. All the worldliness that conquered the world, that was in the world, they were dead center in that. Really without any accountability, expected to be like the world. And yet these guys were spiritually successful. The encouragement you should take from this is that if you're in public school and you feel like that you're all alone and all by yourself, you can be spiritually successful. If you're the only Christian in your family that none of your other family members are there to encourage you, support you, you can be spiritually successful. If you're about to go to another college where, you know, maybe the Lord led you to a college that's, that's not a Christian college, he does that, and you're like, no, where's that accountability? You know what? You can be spiritually successful. And we're going to look at these guys' example of what they did. So we're going to jump around through Daniel 1 through 6. But before they do that, let's have a word of prayer. Ask God to guide us through this. Father God, we're thankful for this time to be in your word. As we look through the lives of Daniel, Daniel Hananiah, Ezra, and Mishael, these young men who you've worked through, that you did mighty things, that you even humbled King Nebuchadnezzar, you... You did these wonderful, great deeds, and you used these guys. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from their example, to see what they did, that we would place these things in practice in them in our lives. Because, Lord, we feel like sometimes we're in the middle of the center of the capital of the world. We're surrounded by worldliness. We're surrounded by sin. And it can be discouraging, and it, it is hard but Lord, may we learn from their lessons. And I pray that these students, that when they go back home, they will find those friends, two, three friends, and that they would meet together and talk about it and encourage one another and show how, how that, that by working together and being in your word, they too can be spiritually successful too. It's in your name I pray, amen. Uh, most of my points are going to be alliterated with P's. If you have a better word for me, Please help me out. This has been like adapting through the ages as I've been uh, teaching this. So if you find a better point, please let me know. I won't be too offended. Maybe just a little offended. All right. Oh, there's the point. There you go. That thing. Do that. Here we go. Here's going to be our eight points. The eighth point didn't fit on this slide. It's going to be on the, another one. But let's go to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. This is the very starting point here. So I gave you the history, I gave you who they were looking for, and then what happened, as they came into Babylon, the king, he wants to transform who these guys are. These are the top-notch guys, these are the guys who are like, if anyone's going to be a good ruler, if anyone's going to help out my kingdom, it's going to be these dudes. So let's transform them, let's change them, so that they can be like us to help promote what we want to promote. Because they have their gods, their deities, their cultures, but we want to transform them. So all of this is going on. And then let's go to verse 8. But Daniel, 
resolved that he would not defile himself. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. That word resolved, maybe your translation says purposed. Uh, the most literal way you can take the word there says, but Daniel placed on his heart. What did he place on his heart? Purity. He says, you know what? As I'm in a foreign land that these people are going to try to transform me, I'm making a decision now. If you wanted to imagine, you'd notice that there's a heart here, kind of like a, a, a computer chipboard thingy, whatever that's called. I'm not a tech guy. But imagine that in a computer, you're, you're inserting memory into that computer to work a certain program. Is anyone tracking with me? Any computer nerds? All right, got like two. Um, but the idea is that you're taking a program and you're going to insert that into the motherboard. You're going to insert that into the command center so that everything that comes out of the command center is functioning according to that program. And what's the program that Daniel's living for? I want to be pure before God. Now, he's talking about that I don't want to defile myself with the king's food, with the king's wine. He's probably referring back to the commands of, of the Old Testament. Most likely, these foods are being offered to pagan gods, being offered to idols. And Daniel is saying, I don't want to be impure before my God. And so I am purposing. I am going to take the program of God, the program of purity, Meaning, God's will for your life is to be pure, undefiled before him. I'm going to take God's program, and I'm going to put that into the motherboard of my heart. I'm going to place that in my heart, on my heart, so that out of the command center, what's going to come out? Purity. If you purpose purity in your life, what's going to come out of your life is Purity. And the reason that some of you guys and some of you gals are struggling with that is because you're not prioritizing purity in your life. It goes back to yesterday's, is that instead of God being God in your life, you're going to say, I'm going to do what I want. It makes me feel good. I like it. I want that. Even though God says, no, that's sin. And the difference is, is you're programming. God is trying to program you to be pure before him. Not to be pure before the world. The world doesn't care about that. Actually, what does our world say about purity? That's weird. That's not normal. Why would you be pure? That's not fun. But then God says, you know what? Actually, purity is the best thing for your life because I designed you for purity. And so point number one is purposing purity in your life purpose purity in your life. If you do not desire to be pure before God, you're not going to be pure. But Daniel said, no, what? no matter what they bring before me, no matter what they present, I am going to purpose purity in my heart. And you notice how this is happening before all these trials are about to happen. Again, how old is Daniel? In Daniel chapter 1, he's 12 to 16. If Daniel, who's 12 to 16, can purpose purity, guess who else can purpose purity? You guys. But it starts with there, that if you do not have a heart or a concern about being pure before God, you will not be spiritually successful. If your goal and your aim in life is not to be fully surrendered to what God has for you, you will not be spiritually successful. Because then, who is in control of your heart? It's you. And what's going to feed out of that heart, that command center of your life, is you. But if you're purposing purity, you place that on your heart, what should flow out is that purity. 
And as you read through Daniel 1 through 6, notice how often these guys are purposing purity in their lives. In your notes, you have a bunch of references. We're not going to look at them all. I gave those to you so that you can look at them. These are, this is where I see uh, some of these points coming out. Maybe you can find more. Maybe you'll disagree. That's okay. But just to kind of give you a guide to see how these things are happening in their lives. But point number one, you have to purpose purity in your life. What about point number two? Let's go to Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. This is uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, or better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're brought before this great uh, idol that King Nebuchadnezzar has built. And that they, the Nebuchadnezzar gave a command, when you hear all the music, all the instruments, you hear all these things, you will bow down and worship this God that I built Kind of like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, starting to see that pride in you. We heard about you in chapter 5. You wanna, might want to knock that out. And then what happens? You get these uh, Babylonians who are kind of mad at these Jewish guys. It's the King Nebuchadnezzar. You commanded, say that everyone should bow, and if they don't bow, they'll get thrown to the furnace. Well, these Jewish boys that you brought, that you brought into and that you put into position of authorities, they're not bowing to your God. So they bring before him and Nebuchadnezzar's, I think Nebuchadnezzar this time, he's kind of like, hey guys, okay, I get it. You're Jews, you're new here, this is kind of different. Maybe you don't understand, maybe it was just a language thing you're not understanding. Um, but I said, when you hear the music, when you, when, you see, when you see everyone else bowing down, you need to bow down or else I'll throw in your fire. So I'm gonna give you a second chance, you know, maybe you just didn't understand it, but look at their response in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Do you know what they're saying here, Nebuchadnezzar? You know, thanks very much, but we don't need a second chance. We don't need a second chance to change our mind. We don't need a second chance to do something different because what we're going to do, we're going to practice the plan. And what's their plan? is we're going to stay pure. We're going to stay pure before our God, and we're not going to change. We're not going to deviate. Look at what they said after that. If this, so be, if this be so, our God whom we serve, they're continually serving this God. They're staying faithful to him. He is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you've set up. They practiced the plan. They stuck with it. And how much peer pressure are these three guys facing? Well, if you read it, there's going to be thousands of men bowing and worshiping. There's going to be so much music that is just going to be blaring, and they all hear that. So there's, there's the pressure of the sound. There's the pressure of the people. There's the pressure of, I don't know, death by fire. Well, can we agree that that's a lot of pressure? All right, good. All right, just want to make sure. And yet they say, regardless of all that, we're going to stay pure before God. We're going to practice the plan. See, here's what happened. A lot of you people, a lot of you people, you teenagers, whatever, you know what I mean. A lot of you, you're fine with point number one. We want to purpose purity. We want to stay pure before God. We're going to go to camp. Yes, God, I'm going to confess the sin. I'm going to forsake the sin. I'm so excited. I'm, on fire for, for, I'm going to be on fire for you. And then three months from now, you're right back or not even worse than where you were before camp. Why? You forsook the plan. 
If your goal is to, I don't know, let's take an example of me. Like, I would love to lose, I don't know, like, I need to lose like one of you. Okay, that's how much I need to lose weight. And I would love to do that. But do you know what the struggle is with that? I love donuts. Donuts are beautiful. Donuts are as close to man as we're going to get on this side of heaven. I'm just saying. And so, but if I want to lose one of my brothers here, out of me, uh, I need to forsake the donuts. Guess what? I haven't been practicing that plan. Why? Because I love donuts. Anyway, but the idea is that if I have a goal that I want, I'm going to go to camp, I'm going to purpose purity in my life, but then I go back home and I don't even have a plan, or I'm not going to practice the decisions that I've made, how do you expect to keep going after the goal? How are you going to expect to keep writing for the brand? Is you need to have a plan on how you're going to follow after God. And I kind of, I want to help you by giving you some points, but talk with your counselors. You get to go back home with your counselors who are going through this with you, and they can help you develop a plan of how you can be spiritually successful. But if you don't practice the plan, I mean, imagine if you're trying to work out and trying to get gains, but you never lift weights, you're going to get gains? If you want to run a marathon, but you never step outside the door and put on the shoes, you're going to be able to run a marathon? So how is it you think that you're going to be pure before God, but you never practice the plans that God gives you? You got to practice the plan. Point number three. Turn to uh, chapter four. And I hope that you notice this. This is the one that should have the most references uh, if I'm wrong, please point, point that out to me. But I think this is the point that has the most references behind it, right? Am I wrong? All right, sweet. And th- there's a point to this. You're going to see this one over and over and over and over again. Look at Daniel chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 13. Um, actually, I'm going to skip a bunch for the sake of time. I'm going to go all the way down. I think I wrote down the wrong reference on my, my slide. But go to Daniel chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 24. Sorry about that. Uh, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king. Um, I wish I could jump around. Let me see if I can find another one quickly. Go to chapter 5. Verse 18, maybe that's the reference I should be looking for, chapter 5. Actually, it is. That reference is supposed to be chapter 5, my bad. But let's go to chapter 5, verse 17. The Daniel answer said before the king, let your gifts be before your, yourself and give your words to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And I want you to notice, it's kind of hard just picking one verse. But as you read through Daniel 1 through 6, do you know who Daniel talks about? He talks about God all the time. I have a hard time finding a good word for this, but I think this is a good one. Proclaim God in your life. As you're going to read through Daniel 1 through 6, you're going to see Daniel over and over again says, you know what, this interpretation is not because of me, it's because of God. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, king, it's not about you, we're going to serve our God. Belshazzar, you're not right with God. Nebuchadnezzar, you got a warning with God. Darius, my God, deliver me. Over and over and over again, what you see Daniel and his friends doing is they're talking about God. They're proclaiming about God. 
And here you are, you're trying to purpose purity about your God, but you never talk about him. Uh, I work at a Christian school, and it amazes me how hard it is to get Christian students to talk about God in their everyday conversations. Over lunch, don't really talk about God that much. In their interactions, in their texting, they don't talk about God that much. Why? Why is it so hard for us to talk about God? You see what these guys, they're so close to God, they're walking after God, that the greatest reality in their life is their relationship with God. What do they talk about? It's God. One thing I love to do to kind of be an outreach, uh, I, I'll go out to some basketball courts and I'll talk and I'll go play basketball. I love basketball. And uh, what happens is when I introduce myself, I say, hey, uh, when I was in New Hampshire, I was a youth pastor. And I would go, hey, I'm Nate. And they go, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. Right off the bat, as quickly as possible, I want people to know I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of God. Some of the guys that I play with, they had all the tattoos, and some of them would have a cross or a picture of Mary. And so I would see that as like, hey, I, I know what that means. I was talking about Christian. I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? And as quickly as possible, as I introduce myself to people, I want to make sure that they know that I'm a Christian. Now, I don't do this all the time. I'm not perfect in this at all. But that is something I try to do. That as I introduce myself, I want people to know I'm a follower of God. Some of you guys are on sports teams with unsaved people, and they don't even know that you're a Christian. Maybe they know that you're nicer, maybe you don't cuss as much, or that you have a little bit better attitude, but they don't know who you're following. And you know what? When God is on the forefront of your tongue, it's a lot harder to sin. When you are talking about God so much, it's hard to give focus on something that's impure. And that we need to get God on the forefront of our minds and be considering and thinking about him so that his words and his attributes just flow through us and throw, flow through our tongues. Do you know what Jesus said about the tongue? That the tongue indicates what's in the heart. What do you talk the most about? What, what, what's the, like, ask your friend. I would challenge you. Ask your friend, hey, based off of what I say, what do you think is the most important thing in my life? Don't be nice. I want you to be as mean as possible, right? I want you to be upfront with me. Based off how I talk, based off all my texts, maybe do a search through your text messages. And you see the things that you're talking about, you're writing about, that you're searching online, that you're looking at. And then what you're going to find out is what's the idol of your heart? Who's the God of your heart? And the things that you talk about, communicate about, indicates the treasures of your heart. And if you're purposing purity in your heart, what do you think is going to flow out of your tongue? Purity. What does your tongue say about your heart? If you want to be spiritually successful, keep God at the front of your tongue. Speak quick, quickly about God. Uh, another point about this. Some of those references are underlined. You'll notice that. That's when the pagans are proclaiming the glory of God. Through the testimony of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Hananiah, the pagans promote God. If you want your unsaved friends to know God, talk about him. If you want your unsaved friends to declare the glory of God and get saved, talk about God. It's contagious. Point number four, thank you. Daniel chapter 2. 
I think this one is one of the most evident ones that we know about Daniel. You guys are familiar with chapter 6. I think you guys kind of figure out we're going to talk about pray. Uh, but Daniel chapter 6, so Daniel prayed in the lion's den. But actually even before that, in Daniel chapter 2, where these guys are maybe 18, maybe in their early 20s at this point. Notice what happens here. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's going to kill everyone because no one can tell him what the dream was, nor can they interpret it. But then Daniel 17, uh, 2.17 says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this ministry. What's the point here? I think you guys can figure this out. Pray persistently. Why can I say persistently? It's because of Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to get there in a second. But it, it is evident that Daniel prayed and prayed a lot. Why does prayer matter? Prayer is humbling your heart before the throne of God, seeking his grace, seeking his mercy in every part of your life. And part of the reason of why you don't pray Part of the reason of why I struggle with praying is because of my pride. I go through my day thinking, you know what? I don't need help with this. Seminary paper, eh, you got this. D. <laughs> we don't recognize how much we need God. We think we got this. We think we have this. And yet, day after day, we fail in our purity. We fail in our minds. We fail with our words. We fail in our, in our attitudes. We fail in all these things. Why? Because I'm not humbling myself before God and saying, God, I need you. God, I need you today to work in my life, to give me your grace, to show me your mercy so that I can live a pure life. You don't naturally want to live pure. We have this thing called the flesh. And it craves impurity. But praise God that when he saves you, you have his Holy Spirit working in your life to say, no, purity is better. And one of the tools that God gives you is full access to his throne. We can't get this, but just try to. You can go before the creator of all things, the omnipotent, omniscient, God, who, who can do anything and everything he so desires, and you have full access to call him Father, I need your help today. Father, will you guide me today? And probably the reason why we don't pray so enough is because we're prideful. We think we don't need it. Well, I'm not that arrogant. Well, maybe you're just not even considering how much you need him. Pray persistently. Point number five, Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six, starting at verse 10. Uh, this is where the, 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 the people in the kingdom are not too happy with Daniel because everything Daniel does is good. He will not cheat. He's not going to cheat the system. He's not taking advantage of the system. He says, you know what? We're losing our gains because of this Daniel guy. We can't get away with anything. So we got to get him out. So let's look at his life and let's find his fault so that we can accuse him and bring him before the king. And as they looked at his life and say, what can we accuse him of? Do you know what they found? Nothing. He doesn't cheat. He, he's not taking any gains. He's not cheating the system. He's not working the system. He is, uh, he is, he, he's perfectly fine. Uh, jump back to verse 5. 
Look at what they said about Daniel. Then these men said, we will not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. If someone wanted to accuse you of a fault, if someone wanted to point out a, a fault in your life, would it be your relationship with God? If they want to say this person is bad because they follow God, <laughs> is that what they say about your life? Or are there other things that they could quickly point out? Say, oh, they're watching this, they're looking at this, they're talking this way, they act this way. They said the only way we can accuse this Daniel guy is by his relationship with his God. And so we're going to attack the thing he does the most. And what is that prayer? Look at verse 10. And when Daniel knew that the document has been signed, the document that says you can't pray unless you're praying to the king, King Darius, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber upon toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. All right, Daniel's a rebel. The, the government, they decree, and they say, you can't pray. God's like, well, I'll show you. I'm going to pray three times a day. Is that what happened? No. How do you know this? Because of that last phrase. As he had done previously. Daniel wasn't being a radical. He wasn't being a, a rebel. He was just doing what he's always done. And what you need to do is when you start doing what's right, you need to get ready for persecution. That's what we were talking about last night. Uh, we were talking about being prepared for suffering. You know, there's, there's this wave going around that's saying, man, if you follow God, you're going to get all the money you want. You're going to get the best car. You're going to have the best health. You're going to have the, the prettiest girl for your wife. You're going to have everything that you ever want and desire. Jesus never promised that. Actually, the Bible teaches us that if you desire godliness, all those who pursue godliness will suffer. It's not a great promotion plan. If I wanted to say, hey, do you want to follow God? Sweet. By the way, just FYI, it's probably going to be suffering. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. People may come after you. People may mock you. You might not get as many likes on Instagram. But if you're following after Christ, you need to be ready for persecution. Yes, you may get made fun of. Yes, there may be some pain. Yes, there's going to be suffering. But the question is, is it worth it? Uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or is it chapter 5, talks about that. And Paul said, in my light affliction, it is nothing compared to the eternal glories that God has for me. How did Paul suffer? Does anyone want to go through Paul's, you know, program of suffering? Anyone? Okay, that's tough stuff. And what does he say about that? It's light compared to the eternal glories that God has for me. Prefer persecution. I'm going to go through the next one a lot quick, quickler. Quick, quickler. That's a new word. Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Again, we're back to Daniel bringing his friends and praying together with his friends. 
Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes time and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with them. To you, O God, my Father, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Point out the power of God in your life. When you see God working in your life, that is a great time to stop and say, praise be to you, God, because you are the one doing it. You're the one who gave the visions to Daniel. You're the one who gave the interpretation to Daniel. And any time that you're getting spiritual success, that your growth, or God is convicting you of sin, or God is encouraging you in your faith, or God reveals his will to you, that is a great time to point out God's working in your life. Because why? You're removing the attention on you. You know, maybe the way that we kind of see this a little bit today is in a basketball game, a player makes a three-pointer and they kind of point up to heaven as if that, that's kind of giving glory to God. It's kind of weak sauce, but it's something, okay? It's a good start. But when you see God working in your life, be quick to point it out. Say, that was God. When you feel a conviction from a sermon, be quick to say, that was God. When you're encouraged by a brother, be quick to say, that was God. When you get a chance to share the gospel, be quick to say, that is God. And what is that doing? It's showing how much God is at work in your life. If we would just take the time to stop and look at what God is doing, God is so active in your life. Be quick to point out the power of God in your life. Point number seven, Daniel chapter one. We're going to look at all these. This is going to be quick. Daniel chapter 1, verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. Daniel chapter 2, 48 and 49. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Chapter 3 and verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon. Chapter 5, verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command that Daniel was clothed with purple and a chain of gold was put around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Uh, do you know why it was number three? It's because Belshazzar was number two. He was actually co-reigning with his, with his father and Belshazzar couldn't give number two because that was his position. Um, chapter 6, verse 2. And over them, Daniel, the three, uh, I'm sorry. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Go down to verse 28. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Prosper in God's grace. Now, this is not a here's how to get rich scheme. That's not the point. The point that you see in almost every single chapter is that as Daniel and his friend purpose purity in their lives, they practice the plan that they prayed, they promoted God, they proclaimed God in their lives, 
What did you see them do? They prospered. What would be the, what would be the New Testament translation of that? They bear fruit. Our New Testament understanding of this would be like a John 15 kind of concept. Abide in me and I in you. For without me, you can't do anything. And through me, if you abide in the branch, the vine will bear fruit. You will prosper. You will have spiritual success. It doesn't mean you're going to have all the greatest things, all the best things. It doesn't even promise to have a, a good and, and, and a life without suffering. You look at their lives, obviously they suffered, but you can still prosper and grow in your walk and your relationship with God. As Paul said, I already said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 or 5, I can't remember, but Paul said, this momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the eternal glories that God has for me, that God has for us in the future. Here's a plan for you to be spiritually successful in the middle of the center of the capital of the world. And no matter how close you, to, you are to that worldliness, no matter how your situation in life, you can still be spiritually successful. Because here you have these four Jewish young men who grow up in this area, who, are tr who grow up in, in Babylon, they're, they're trained in the Babylonian ways, but yet they were still successful in their spiritual walk with God. Why is that? First of all, they purpose purity. Their priority was to be pure before God. They had a plan. They stuck with it. And old, the big one, they talked about God a lot. You see prayer a lot. They were prepared for persecution. Nebuchadnezzar throws in the fire. We'll walk into the fire if that's what you want. But we will not bow down before your gods. Point out the power of God in your life and be ready to prosper. This last time while going back through Daniel 1 through 6, I noticed another point. And uh, here's your bonus one. Have a passion for people. Let me see if I can point this out to you. Go to chapter 1. There's really two instances I see this. There's probably a couple more, but at least in chapter 1, I can show this to you. Let's start at verse 9. Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the cheat of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. Have you heard of Nebuchadnezzar? He's not a nice dude. That's hidden in the Hebrew. Um, who assigned your food and your drink? For why should he see that, that you, you are worse in condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? You catch what he's saying? It's like, Daniel, you want me to not feed you the good stuff? You want to eat vegetables? Whatever that translation is. It's like, instead of a steak with barbecue sauce and seasoning and maybe a nice potato beside that, oh, right? You want that? King's going to have my head. My job is to raise you up, get good, strong men, kind of like, oh, yeah, we did that. Um, but kind of, you know, good, strong men, and, and you want to eat that? It's not going to work. 
And instead, instead of Daniel being defiant, say, well, no, we're going to do this because this is what I want to do. Look at how Daniel's kind of compassionate, at least considerate. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuch had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazariah, okay, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, yuck, and water to drink, yuck. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel didn't put down an ultimatum. Well, I'm going to do this regardless of whatever he wants because, you know, he's judging me. Yeah. Well, actually, he is. <laughs> you see Daniel still at least submissive. Uh, so Daniel gives a request. He says, have you considered this? Let's do a test and let's see if this actually works. And if this works, this is what we'll do for three years. Three years of vegetable and water. Maybe that's what I should do. Nah, okay. Um, but you see, Daniel is at least considerate. Go back to uh, Daniel chapter 4. Actually, we can also look at, Dan I'll tell you about Daniel 3, but turn to Daniel 4. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Hananiah, and Mishael, when they were went, they went to the place of the idols. Why? Because they were commanded to go. But you notice what's not in the text, and this is just me using my imagination, but they're not there with pick a signs. No, no, I don't know. We won't bow. We won't go. Okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're not there with their pick a signs, and, and they're, they just stood. They obeyed their authority. They went to the idol, but they weren't going to obey to the point of disobeying God. And they weren't being outwardly rebellious. And then they get brought before Nebuchadnezzar. He says, well, you Nebuchadnezzar, you're nothing because, you know, my king's better than your king. Because my king's God. They weren't defiant like that. They said, hey, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, we just want to let you know, we don't need a chance. We're going to do what's right. And hey, if God wants to deliver us, he can. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Respectfully. Daniel chapter 4. He gets this dream and again, remember, Nebuchadnezzar came, conquered his people, probably killed his family, at least his army killed his family, captured him, tried to brainwash him, and now he's in this middle center of the capital of the world in Babylon. And then this king gets a dream saying, hey, you're going to get knocked off your throne, dude, because you're so prideful. And then he goes to tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream. Uh, verse 19, Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be those for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. What is he saying? He's like, dude, I hope this doesn't happen to you. Because what's about to happen to you, it's not good. And what are you seeing? Here is Daniel's enemy who kidnapped him, murdered his family, took him away, and tried to brainwash him. But Nebuchadnezzar said, um, Daniel said, dude, I hope this doesn't happen to you. I'm seeing a, a compassion for people. And you know what? That is a form of godliness. Because does God care about people? How much so? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he... 
if you want to be spiritually successful, you need to have a passion for people. Because God, God wants to use you to reach them. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are thankful for this time in your word. I, I hope that this survey helps these students, prepare these, these, these teens to go back home, have something to study, and something to prepare. Because it's not easy to go back home from camp. We get excited for you and we get pumped up and that's great. But God, you, you want us to maintain this. You want us to have a new level of spirituality and grow from there. I pray that these points would help them to look through Scripture and see how we can be spiritually successful even in the middle of the center of the capital of the world. It's in your name I pray. Amen.